0: Can you believe that we are already in May? Yeah, the year is going by. We have our leadership conference in just a a couple months. And man, unstoppable, that's going to be exciting. And I think this is a great uh, sermon series leading up uh, to our, uh, our, our conference in July. And the name of our sermon series is Leadership is Not an Option. And the name alone says it all. Leadership is not an option. We, this month, are going to be talking about leadership. And if you are a born-again believer, if you are a child of God, leadership is not an option. You are called to be a leader. Amen? Amen. 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 Um, I I think about our fellowship and uh, the things that we're involved in. Uh, i tell you one thing our fellowship knows how to produce leaders. It's just a, it's, it's a byproduct of our relationship with God, our, of our leaders' relationship with God. And I tell you what, this, this fellowship, it knows how to produce leaders for God's honor and for God's glory. We have so many events that go on through the year uh, that comes out of this church, the Mother Church. We have our Bike Walk and Roll Hour. Feed the Need, our Safe Zone, Christmas Wonderland. We have our Easter dramas, and they did a real good job that past uh, drama. And, um, but one thing that uh, yeah. But one thing that we hear often from outside visitors is how well organized these events take place. And, and the reason is is because we have good leadership. You know, we, we have uh, a leader that, that meets with the leaders months in advance concerning that event. And at that meeting, there's delegation that takes place. This ministry is gonna be in charge of this. And this leader's gonna be in charge of that. And these leaders are gonna be working together over here. And what happens so that on that day, those leaders of those ministries, they have their teams and they all know what to do. And they all go about and they get that uh, uh, event set up and running and they make it look easy. Amen. There's, I'm gonna contrast that with something that happened to me last week. I was, um, I had to go to a health center. I was potentially exposed to the measles, and don't worry, I don't have the measles. I was cleared, I was inoculated, I had them as a kid. Um, But because I was in the vicinity of the potential exposure, I had to go to a health center. And so when I was at that health center, I, it became evident quite quickly that there was a lack of leadership going on there. And it's not that they weren't trained, these individuals, and it's not that they didn't know what their job was. It's just that with the influx of individuals coming in, there was a lot of miscommunication, a lot of misdirection and misinformation. And quickly what happened was people began to get frustrated and they began to grow impatient and they began to get really stressed. And what I saw was that there was a lack of leadership. There was a lack of leadership. The people there, as trained as they were, they were leaderless. And that's what I'm gonna be speaking about this, this, um, this evening is leading the leaderless. Our series text is found in the book of Timothy, chapter two, verse 15. And it says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed but rightly dividing the word of truth. In the book of Matthew, chapter nine, verses 35 through 38, it says, then Jesus went about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd and then he said to his disciples the harvest truly is plentiful but the laborers are few pray therefore pray the lord of harvest to send out laborers into his harvest if we can pray father god we thank you lord for this time lord to be able to freely worship and gather father in your name we thank you tonight for what you're doing and what you will be doing through this series Father, I pray for leaders right now, Father God, that they would be stirred, Father, that our leaders would uh, just continue to to press on, God, that they would not grow weary, but they would continue to have a vision and a heart to serve you and to serve uh, the people that they lead. And Father, I pray that you would raise up leaders, Father God, that throughout this sermon series, Father God, you would challenge hearts, you would raise leaders, Father God, Lord, for your honor, for your glory. Leaders, Father God, Lord, with a burden for your people, Father God. In Jesus' name, we all say, Amen. Amen. You know, the success or failure of any organization lies in its leadership. It lies in its leadership. Corporate America spends up to $70 billion in management training and leadership through books. Uh, seminars, conferences, up to 70—it's a $70 billion industry. But what they're finding, though, is that these uh, recipes for leadership that a lot of these uh, seminars and books are coming up with—they're not working. There's there's a, there's a failure going on, and the reason is is that there's a disconnect between the leader and the people they are leading. There's a disconnect going on there between the leadership and those that are following. They're saying that leaders need to be true to what the situation demands and what the people around them want and need. And what they're finding is that there's people are going to these conferences and they're coming back and they're saying, this is how it should be done. This is what I learned and and this is how it is. And they become so rigid that they're not taking into consideration the thoughts and the input and the ideas of those that they're leading. And the opposite happens as well, where they begin to uh, want to please the people that are under them so much that they neglect the task at hand. And what they're saying is that they're try- it's, it's hard to find a leader that understands the big picture and knows what needs to be accomplished and is able to get his group, his team, his employees to help him uh, achieve that goal. Someone said leadership is not a title it is a behavior live it. And can I say today that if you again if you are a Christian here born again you're called to be a leader. You might be saying, "Brother Manny, I don't want that title. I don't want to be a leader. I'm just content to come in and serve God and be about my business." But you're a leader. You're a leader in your exampleship. You're a leader in your service. You're a leader to those that you might not even know are following you. People that are just observing you. When you're in the prayer room, when you're speaking to someone in the hallways, when you're serving, you're a leader. Each and every one of us is called to lead in some capacity. When um, I got saved in the mid-90s, 95, and I remember, uh, and there was a few of us that came in, a core of, of, of young single brothers that came in at the time. We were young at the time, not young anymore, but myself, uh, Brother Matt, he was um, serving God in, in Palm Springs, but he came because of school, Pastor Jose, uh, Brother George, he was already here serving. It was a good core of us, and for the most part, we came from the streets. We were you know, out there in the streets. So when we came in, we needed leadership. We were leaderless. And praise God, we got excellent leadership here in in the Norwalk Church, from our pastors all the way down to the Royal Ranger leaders. We we had excellent leadership. It was around the late 90s, though, that I started noticing all my leaders were going out. Uh, Pastor Bobby had gone out. Uh, My outreach leader, he left. Uh, Pastor Reggie went out. Uh, a, a year later, Pastor Ruben went out. And I was standing around, I'm thinking, where are all my leaders? <laughs> my sound leader, the, the gentleman that was over the sound and ministry was also over the platform ministry. Uh, he ended up leaving, and, and, you know, those things happen. And I remember it was a Friday night. So Saturday morning, we were having our uh, prayer. We were going to have a uh, band practice and rehearsal. And Pastor Richard came in and he addressed it, says, you know, these things happen and we're gonna move on, we're gonna go forward. He said, brother so-and-so, he's gonna take over the platform ministry. You know, he's gonna be over the the, the song service and the musicians and the singers. And then he says, and brother Manny, you are gonna be over the sound and you'll be dealing directly with me. And I said, I'm barely learning, learning the sound. How am I gonna be the leader of the sound? And I heard this. Those were my knees knocking because I, t- I did not feel qualified nor prepared to uh, be in sound, let alone lead sound. And there's times where we're going to hear God call us to lead and we're going to feel, we're not, I'm not qualified. Can you pick someone else, God? Can I tell you, when it comes to the call to leadership that God calls the least likely of leaders, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 27 He says but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong Think about our examples in the Bible Moses David Gideon Esther Peter the apostles All of these individuals were heavily flawed. All of these individuals had issues. And yet God called these individuals, these flawed, imperfect individuals to lead his people. Often God calls a leader that is 180 degrees opposite of who you and I would choose. It's like, really, God's raising up this individual? This person God chose? Yes. Yes. We see that in the life of David, King David. It was time for God to choose the successor to Saul. And he tells the prophet Samuel, he says, go to the house of Jesse, and from there I'm going to pick my king, my new new king, my new king of Israel. And so the the prophet goes, and he tells Jesse, and he says, bring out your sons. And here comes Jesse, and he brings out all his sons. And, And I'm sure they were tall, and they were handsome, and they were rugged, and I'm sure they were leadership material. And God says, "My leader is not here." And so the prophet tells Jesse, "You're missing someone, and and uh, there's there's one more." And, and Jesse, I'm sure it had that expression was David. David, you want to see David? David was the youngest. He was probably some runt teenager that they sent to go. Herd the sheep and take care of the sheep. David was the one that when there's brothers were out there fighting battles, here's some sandwiches, take them to your brothers. He was, uh, in leadership training, he just didn't know it. And what others didn't see in David, God saw in David. What, what others saw as some scruffy kid who probably stunk because of the sheep, uh, God saw a king. And there's times where you and I, man, we might not see certain things in ourselves, but God sees those things. God sees those traits. He sees those qualities. He sees past those imperfections. When I was preparing this, um, I thought about our homes, our transitional homes. We, we used to have a women's home and a men's home. Now we just have a men's home. And I think about the work that God does in the lives of those individuals. The training that they're receiving. Men's home, don't quit. Don't give up. Let me tell you why. Because in our men's home, you know what God produces? Leaders. Leaders. I was thinking about Brother Dave and his wife Belinda. Men's home directors, leaders, pillars in their church. Brother Oscar and uh, Sister Yolvetta, leaders. Men's home, directors, leaders. Brother Anthony and his wife Katrina, leaders. Men's and women's home. Brother Frank Monzone, leader. Brother Nick, leader. Pastor Pete, pastor, leader, men's home. Pastor Levi, the list can go on and on, and if I missed you, I am sorry. But you know who you are, God produces leaders. Leaders, and you might think, I'm here, why am I here? Because God is making you into a leader. See, there's a difference between what God sees and what others see, there's a difference. My wife has this incredible talent of finding jewelry, and you're saying all wives have that talent. (laughs) The talent is is that she can find the jewelry in the least likely of places, second-hand stores or thrift shops or Goodwills. A lot of times, and I'll admit it, I like going to the, good, the, the, the thrift shops and the Goodwills because you find some gems there and she'll go to the counter and she'll look at the, at the counter, the jewelry, and she'll say, can I see this piece of jewelry right here? And she'll look at it and she'll feel it and she'll kind of, how much is it, $10? I'll take it. She'll take it to her jeweler, shines it up, and says, you found yourself a gem. You find yourself something nice. And the reason my wife is able to uh, uh, find those hidden treasures is because she knows what gold looks like and that gold is valuable. And never mind if that gold is found in some thrift shop, and never mind if that gold is dingy or dirty or dated, it's still gold and it's still valuable. And there's some of you in here, you are gold. You are gold and you are a leader that needs to lead. As leaders, we need to recognize the golden people. And can I tell you that iron sharpens iron, sometimes sparks are gonna fly. We we, as leaders, especially if we're leading the leaderless, we don't have always the luxury of leading individuals that are polished and refined Sometimes God gives us uh, those leaderless individuals, he gives them to us as leaders because he wants, uh, he wants to use us to polish and refine them. And you might be saying like, man, this individual in my ministry is always questioning, he's always asking why, you know, he, why doesn't this person just fall in line? It's because God's raising up a leader and you are the one that God is using to disciple, to mold, and to encourage, and to shape this individual. Don't give up on the individuals that God places underneath you. See, the leaderless need a leader. You know, a leader with the right heart, right right motives, and a leader that's going to lead them in the right cause. He's saying the cause, yeah, we are called to lead for the cause of Christ. As Christians, we must prayerfully be led by the Spirit of God concerning the causes and the movements that we would get behind, let alone lead. Christ's heartbeat is, was, and always will be souls. The cause for Christ in our fellowship is souls. Everything we do is so that souls can get saved. Whether it's an Easter drama, or a focus outreach, uh, you know, or a safe zone, or a Christmas wonderland, everything we do is geared towards souls getting saved. Bringing in the lost. In the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 16, it says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and then to the Gentile. If you think about it, what were we involved prior to Christ? What were we willing to give up our friends and family and our freedoms and even our lives for? What kind of fruitless causes were we a part of. Causes that bore no fruit, that only left the wake of hurt and destruction. Leaderless people get involved in fruitless causes. Where I work at, I often see a lot of young adults getting involved in fruitless causes. I was looking at our worship team tonight, and I don't think there's anybody even at 30 yet. And if they are, they look good. You think they all gotta be in their 20s. I saw my daughter's classmates up here. My goodness, man, what an awesome testimony that on a Wednesday night, they're in the house of God leading you and I in worship. They're answering a call. They're answering a call to lead. The young people are radical. The young people are radical, and we need to lead them because I see them getting involved in, in causes that are fruitless, the, the anarchist and socialist movements that are taking place on college campuses where people are looting and rioting because someone they don't necessarily agree with is just going to give a lecture, you know, The gangs and the drugs is a fruitless cause. Uh, How many broken hearts and fatherless children and widows and crying mothers because of a fruitless cause because someone who is lacking leadership uh, can't find it uh, and so they look for it in the gangs and and they provide a skewed and and, and twisted leadership. We still reach out to gang members that humanistic and atheistic worldviews, uh, that they would say that that there is no God, and if there is no God, then it's it's my life, my body, my choice, my sexuality. These are fruitless causes, because they bring destruction, they bring hurt, they bring pain in the long run. I was watching this documentary about one of the fastest growing religions among um, American Latinos, and it's Islam. I was surprised by that. I thought it would it would be Christianity and, and it wasn't. And they were interviewing this young man, he must have been in his mid 30s, and he was giving his testimony. He was saying, you know, he was an immigrant from Colombia, came to this country, got involved in the gangs and the drugs, and, and he uh, saw that his friends were going to prison and some were dying, and uh, one day someone gave him a Quran. And he began to read the, that 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 book and began to study it and it began to change the way he was thinking. And he said that he was contemplating converting. And he didn't know if he wanted to convert. And then one of his friends was murdered and killed. And he says, I'm going to convert. And I thought to myself, where was the Christian to put a Bible in his hand? Where was the Christian to say God loves you, man. I understand what you're going through. I've been through it. Jesus can change your life. This individual was ripe. He was hurting. He was lost. He knew it. He knew he needed to change. And where was the Christian? I I see the Gideons, the um, individuals that hand out the Bibles. And uh, I, I see them where I work. And they're even in the rain passing out those Bibles, those little... New Testament tracts and Bibles. And uh, I'm blessed by them, but when I'm looking at them, I'm thinking, where's my generation? Where are we at? Because these individuals are in their 60s, 70s, and even their 80s, standing in the rain under umbrella, handing out Bibles to young adults. And thank God for them, they're making an impact, but you know what will make an impact? It's someone our age, someone in my generation, someone in the millennial, I'm um, generation next, someone in the millennial and generation Z saying, I'm serving God, so can you. Right. I, I love Jesus, and I'm not ashamed, so could you. Gideon, he was a leader called by God. He was, um, we know the story of Gideon, uh, children of Israel, they were leaderless, They didn't have an army to defend themselves. And so the angel of the Lord comes and he speaks to Gideon and he says, Gideon, I'm gonna use you. I'm gonna raise you up and you're gonna lead Israel. And Gideon is like, you got the wrong person. I'm anything but a leader. And I think if Gideon had the option to choose whether or not he would be that leader, he probably would have said no, but he wasn't given an option just like you and I. We're not given that option. And he says... You're going to be the, the the savior of Israel. You're going to the, uh, liberate Israel from the Midianites, who are terrorizing and bullying uh, the Israel the Israelites. And I think in his mind, he might have been thinking, "What do I know about warfare? I'm not a soldier. What do I know about leading, let alone leading military uh, leadership?" And sometimes we got to just realize that a leader. Just leads. He gets in front. He steps in front and says, come on, I know the way. I will lead you. In the book of Judges, before I go there, a good objective of leadership is to help those who are doing poorly do well and to help those who are doing well do even better. The personal physician to Winston Churchill, Lord Moran, said, a few men had the stuff of leadership in them. They were like rafts to which all the rest of humanity clung for support and hope. Sometimes people are just hungry and they're looking for someone to follow. They're looking for someone, man, that is serving God, that, that, that they're blessed, and they're saying, I want what they've got. The leaderless are those that are hungry for God, yet without spiritual guidance and direction. They are those eager for the will of God, full of zeal and promise, yet they lack discernment and maturity. They are the seed scattered among the rocky soil, that unless roots are established, they will eventually wither away. They are the soldier without a commander, or a sailor without a captain. Gideon had no idea concerning the leader that he would be. And he had no idea concerning the men that he would be leading. But he obeyed, he obeyed. And as a leader of the leaderless, and as a leader period, there's, there's three things that need to be at work in our life, that we, that we, that we need, and, and number one is to remember that our confidence is in God. We're not leading in and of our own strength because, um, come on, if we're honest, we need the Holy Spirit inside of us. We need need to be following God so that we can be leading others. And we got to remember that it's God in us. And our confidence isn't in our flesh and in our knowledge or our own wisdom, but our confidence is in the Almighty. In the book of Judges, chapter 6, verse 12, the angel of the Lord calls Gideon a mighty man of valor. And he says, go, in verse 14, he says, go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? God is saying, it's me, I'm the one that's choosing you, so go, I'm the one that is putting myself in you, I'm gonna give you what you need to lead your people. Number two, based on that, we need to stop making excuses. In verse 15, Gideon says, I'm the weakest and I'm the least. Isn't that just like us to make excuses? Moses made that excuse. How do you want me to speak to Pharaoh if I can't even speak a a complete sentence? I stutter, and yet God raised up Moses. Verse 16 is, God says again, surely I will be with you. Surely I will be with you. What a promise. What a promise. We like that promise when we're going through hard times, when we're going through trial or we're going through any kind of uh, of hardship, oh, God is with me. But that promise is also when he tells us to do something. When he gives us that command to lead. I'm gonna go with you. you I'm gonna lead you and you're gonna lead them. And then lastly, uh, we need to be obedient. We, the angel of the Lord in verses 25 and 26, he tells them, tear down those altars and those idols and build an altar to God. You wanna be an effective leader for God? Sell out for God. You wanna be an effective leader for God? Get rid of those things that are hindering you. You wanna be an effective leader for God? Get rid of those things that are weighing you down. Let those things go, whether it's mindsets or whatever you're holding on to, whatever you, you, you can't let go, let it go if you wanna be an effective leader for God. Book of Judges, chapter six, verse 34 and 35. He says, but the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, underline that. Then he blew the trumpet, underline that. And then the Aberizites gathered behind him, underline that. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh who also gathered behind him, underline that. And he also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they came up to meet him. What happened, man? Gideon broke down that altar, he broke down that idol, he made an altar to God and what happened, the spirit of God came upon him and when the spirit of God came upon him, he made a proclamation, he blew the trumpet and people woke up and said, that's the leader we're gonna get behind. That's the man of God that's gonna lead us. That's the man of God that's following after God and what happened, all of these tribes and all of these individuals got behind the leader that they were waiting for. I think it was maybe twenty-two, thirty-two thousand. 32,000, that's an army. And you know the story, God says that's too much, let's narrow it down to 300. But when Gideon was obedient to God, man, an army got behind Gideon. That's exciting. That's exciting. We were at an outreach one time. It was a Friday night outreach, Huntington Park, and um, the police came, and they came and they wanted to see what was going on, and, and I went up to the officer, and the officer says, who's in charge here? And I said, Jesus. Now, the reason I said that is because I heard Pastor Reggie say it one time, and I couldn't wait for that opportunity. <laughs> I, I was following my leader. And he says, no, I mean, right here, right now. And I said, that's, that's me. And he says, uh, he goes. I appreciate what you're doing. Just be careful. You're in a rough side of town. And he and he, um, he sent us on his way. But I say that is because um, I was following a pattern. Okay. And in any good leadership, you you want to follow the pattern that's been established and set before us. In the book of Judges, chapter seven, verses seventeen. In 18, Gideon says, watch me, he told them, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. What was Gideon doing? He was setting an example. And he was saying, follow this example And we're going to have the victory. And if we want to be effective, if we want to be effective, if we want to see a a fruit in the kingdom of God, we've got to follow the principles and the standards of righteousness and of holiness and of servanthood that this fellowship has established. Quickly as I wind down, leadership is not an option. My dad was a Marine, and my brother was a Marine, and in fact, there still are, because if you're ever a Marine, you know that it's once a Marine, always a Marine. And the Marines have a manual that's called Leading Marines. So I thought that would be an interesting read, and uh, I downloaded it and I read it. And it says, it is the responsibility of leaders at all levels to mentor and develop the next generation of Marine leaders. It wasn't an option. It says, all leaders at all levels, it's your responsibility to mentor the next generation of leaders. The Marines have a concept of every Marine a rifleman, and what that means is before the Marines are taught how to fly an aircraft or drive a tank or uh, work on equipment uh, or, or any skill, they're taught how to shoot accurately. And the reason that they're, they're taught how to shoot accurately is because their philosophy is is that no Marine is ever far from a fight. That there are no such thing as rear guard Marines. And so at every Marine, no matter what their profession is, they're t- trained to be a fighter first and foremost. And if one goes down, there'll be another there to take their place. And so... There was uh, a story, and if you bear with me, I'll go quickly. It says, on the night of, four, uh, the night of September 14th, uh, 2012, 15 heavily armed Taliban insurgents dressed in U.S. Army uniforms breached the eastern perimeter of Camp Bastion uh, in the province of Afghanistan, in the homeland par- province of a- Afghanistan. The insurgents split into three teams, Uh, Five men each and commenced a coordinated attack on the airfield. Realizing that the flight line was under attack, uh, Commander Lieutenant Colonel Christopher Rabel, armed with only his pistol, organized his pinned-down Marines into fire teams for a counterattack. During the fighting, he was mortally wounded when a rocket-propelled grenade detonated next to him. During the attack on the airfield, Sergeant Bradley Atwell, an avionics technician immediately directed his Marines to grab their rifles and accompany him. Leading his Marines, Sergeant Atwell ran toward the aircraft structural fires that were visible along the flight line. And as tracer rounds ricocheted between him and other Marines, while continuing to press forward along the edge of the aircraft uh, parking area, he became separated from the others when a rocket propelled grenade exploded approximately three meters from his position. Knocking him down with mortal injuries, Sergeant Atwell crawled to cover and, re- uh, and returned fire in the direction of the enemy until he succumbed to his wounds. Meanwhile, the squadron executive officer, Major Rob T. McDonald, and two other officers maneuvered more than a mile on foot through an area exposed to enemy fire. When his commanding officer was mortally wounded, Major McDonald took command. And while leading a small team to uh, reconnoiter the flight line, he killed an insurgent with a rifle that he had borrowed and then expertly coordinated two helicopter strikes. Additionally, Marines from another squadron killed one group of uh, the five insurgents with small-arm fire as the enemy tried to advance along the flight line. In the end, the enemy was defeated after a four-hour fire flight by Marine aviators and maintainers, personnel from the number one... from the number 51 Squadron, Royal Air Force Regiment, and helicopter fire support. And I say that to say this, is that every Marine knew what was expected of him. Every Marine knew that if one went down, he needed to be the one to get up and to lead because the fight wasn't over, because the battle was still raging, and because each and every Marine did not have the option of not being a leader. They all knew that they were leaders. They all knew they had a responsibility and an obligation to, them, to, to their Marines and to their fellow um, mar- mar- Marines. And I close as our, as our uh, worship team comes forward. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, verse 8. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And then I said, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. You know, church, I really believe God wants to bring revival into our church, into our fellowship, and I really believe that we're on the cusp, the very edge of that revival. But you know what we're gonna need? We're gonna need leaders. We're gonna need faithful men and women of God that as families come in, they're gonna have leaders. And I'm not talking about in title or position. I'm talking about in fellowship and friend and encouragement and in love. If, 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 if we want that revival, if we wanna see God bring in the souls that I believe, I believe we're gonna see, and each and every one of us has to be ready has to be ready, that when they walk through those doors, hi, my name is so-and-so, what's your name? Is it your first time? Can I introduce you to someone? Can I pray for you? Can I show you where the nurseries are? Can I introduce you to the Royal Ranger leaders? I see that you have young, young boys. Let me tell you about the Royal Ranger program. That's leadership. It's not a title. It's, it's not some pedigree. It's, it's just doing what needs to be done. It's seeing the need and then filling it. Someone did that with me when I walked in. You know? Amen. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed tonight.